Well, good morning and happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> this is 2019. 2018 is over. That was not new information. <clears throat> we ended 2018 by looking at Psalm 150. Pastor Dave encouraged us to look back to 2018, observe the faithfulness of God, and praise Him. He said, praise the Lord always and everywhere for what He has done, for who He is, and with all that you have. And today, we're going to look at Psalm 1. 2019 has started, and it's been four days, and we all want to start well. We want to start well so that we will end well. If you're going to start slow in a 100-meter race, you're going to lose. You will lose. So starting matters. How we end depends on how we start. And we all want the year to end well. That's why we make resolutions. We want good beginnings. We want good ends. We want things to be different. We want things to be better than earlier. Now, this morning, I'm not going to talk about making resolutions, but about starting well and ending well. And for that, I want you to turn your attention with me to Psalm 1. The psalm talks about two kinds of people, the righteous and the wicked. The way of the righteous leads to blessing, and the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 encourages us to start well with a question. Will you choose wisdom or will you choose foolishness? Will you choose righteousness or will you choose wickedness? What you choose will determine the outcome of your life. But the answer to that question will also determine how 2019 will end whether you'll be happy or whether you'll be miserable. This psalm is a wisdom psalm in that it tells us what is in the end. The psalm, psalmist in verses 5 and 6 tells us what's in the end. Look at the end. Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself happy? Do you see yourself blessed? Choose righteousness. Do you see yourself as the one who perishes? Abandon wickedness for wisdom. Start well. You will end well. So my desire is that we will understand what it means to end well in 2019 as a happy person. So we're going to look at Psalm 1. We, I have three points this morning. Number one, the way of the righteous. Number two, the way of the wicked. And number three, the destiny. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, and the destiny. Look with me to verses 1 to 3 where we see the psalmist talk about the way of the righteous. There are a few things that the psalmist talks about the righteous man in the first three verses. Look how the psalm begins. He says, blessed is the man. And that word could be translated, happy is the man, or how happy is the man, as some translations translate. Well, the word is actually in the plural, and it means happinesses. 
blessednesses. In fact, Spurgeon preferred translating it as bundles of happiness. This is abundant joy, so much joy. His happinesses, his immense joy, in fact, in verse 1, is in holiness. Holiness makes him glad. He chooses, he chooses holiness because he loves holiness. He loves righteousness. He loves what is right. That's what makes him happy. And so in verse 1, the psalmist presents various scenarios that can influence a person's attitude and action. You have the counsel of the wicked, the advice that comes from the ungodly. You have the sinful ways, choices that sinners out there will recommend to you. And then you have there the group of scoffers, the one who always like to mock other people. All those three influences, that can, that can actually influence people, even the righteous ones. But the righteous man chooses not to be with them. This happy man does not enjoy listening to the advice of the wicked. The, the, the wisdom of the wicked stem from this world, from Satan, the ruler of this world. Therefore, worldly wisdom encourages bitterness and gossip and scheming and deceit and divisiveness and secrecy and hypocrisy and jealousy, and anger, and hatred, and murder, and lust, and pride, and vengeance, and every disgusting practice. James 3 says that this kind of wisdom is demonic, and people who involve in these things find these things to be satisfying and exciting. They cannot see or sense the evil in worldly wisdom. The righteous man, the happy man, he hates any departure from God. His happiness is in holiness, not sin. Now, why is it that the righteous find happiness in holiness? That's in verse 2. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the word of God, the revelation of God, how God has revealed himself to us. Do you want to know God? Read the word. Do you want to hear God speak? Read the word. The righteous man delights in the revelation of God. He enjoys listening to God instruct his people. Now, what does that word delight mean? It is an inner, an inner love for the Word of God. It is an enjoyment from within. It is a deep joy and satisfaction and pleasure inside of me that moves me toward the things of God. It is a treasuring, a, a cherishing in the heart that moves one to say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. That's like saying, I love honey. I really do. I love honey. Oh, the feeling that I get when I taste fresh, raw honey. 
especially if you can climb trees and eat them. But Lord, your word is more sweeter to my heart than honey is to my tongue. I'd rather be with your word than have honey. The joy and satisfaction that your word brings is much greater than the satisfaction than honey brings. That is delight. That is delight. Husbands, do you have this feeling whether you want to be with your wives or do you have this feeling whether you have to be with your wives? The have to is burden. It's like duty. The want to is delight. I love being with my wife. That's delight. It's this inner longing, that passion to be with God. And so this morning I want to ask us, what is your heart's attitude toward the word of God now? Do you love, love God's word? Do you want, want, do you have that wanting in your heart that I want to hear God's word? Does God's word bring you joy? Or maybe I should be asking, have you been reading God's word? Has your interest in other activities like sports and news and work and exercise taken away your delight in the Word? Have you been struggling to get back on track? Let me encourage you with two verses that a faithful pastor who pastors in Abu Dhabi, his name is Steve Fuller, pastor of Grace Church. Two verses that he recommended to one of his friends who actually came to him a few years back and said that he had been struggling and had no desire to read the Bible. And Steve suggested that the problem lies not in our laziness or lack of discipline, but in our lack of faith. So it's a hard issue that we are not reading the Bible. We are not trusting the promises of God that God has made in His Word. I want to share with you two of those promises that Steve cites in this article. This article is there on Desiring God. Two promises that God makes about His Word. Number one, God's Word will revive your soul. God's word will revive your soul. That's Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. When the heart feels dull and Bible reading seems boring, remember that his word revives the soul. If you know that reading will revive your soul's interest in the word, read. Don't wait. Read. Believe that God will revive within us a delight for His Word. That's God's promise. Psalm 19.7. So number one, God's Word revives our soul. Number two, God's Word will strengthen your faith. God's Word will strengthen your faith. Romans 10.17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you're deficient in vitamin D and you know that 
Sunlight is this natural means that God has provided for us to increase this vitamin D in us. Won't you choose to stand under the sun than standing in the shade? Because you believe that sun will increase, sunlight will increase vitamin D. If you know that that you don't have this desire in you, and you know that going to God's word will increase your delight in God's word, won't you choose to stand under the light of God's word so that God's word nourishes your faith and increase your faith? Read. Read the word. Believe that God will increase your faith in his promise. Friends, no one naturally delights in God's word. No one is born with a natural hunger for God and his wisdom. No one. Everyone is born with a natural hatred for God and his ways. We are born with a love for sin. A sinner is a sin lover, not a God lover. But instead of condemning sinners, God showed us mercy. Jesus is the mercy of God to God-haters. And God did not deal with us as our sins deserve. He showed us grace through Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, sinners can taste the mercy of God in Christ. Through Christ, sinners are made right with God. And through Christ, we have new life. And new life comes with new joy. Mercy produces joy, much joy. New life comes with new desires, new affections. The desires, the delight of the righteous man in God is the fruit of God at work. The happy man then of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. That man does not do whatever he does in verses 1 and 2 out of a sense of duty. That's legalism. Going to the church, reading the Bible daily, and memorizing verses will not make God love us more. That may certainly increase our love for God, but certainly not His love for us. God cannot love us more than He does in Christ. The righteous man of Psalm 1 does not do what he does in verse 1 and 2 to earn favor from God. He does this because he loves it. And he loves it because God has given him a new taste out of mercy. God has changed his heart. So how do you know that the righteous man delights in God's, God's word? Well, it says he meditates on it day and night, verse 2. Now, what does meditation mean? It certainly is not the emptying of our minds. It is the filling of our minds. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored, stored your word in my heart. Now, how do you store God's word in your heart? Well, verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 119 answers the question. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. 
You store by meditating. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means to think on God's word and to understand them. Ask questions. How has God revealed himself over here? What is going on here? How do, how do these people respond when God reveals himself? And as you do that, you are talking to your souls. You are telling yourself what is right and pure and righteous. So you think and you try to understand, but you do this to remember them. We want the word to remain in us because we are forgetful people. We are busy people. And we want this word to dwell in our hearts. And as it dwells, remind us of who God is. But most importantly, we meditate to obey God, to live by it. The goal is not to tell others how much we have read and how much we know. The goal, goal is to, to know God and to delight in obeying Him. So that means... We make time. You read with active minds. You keep all distractions away. Instagramming and Facebooking and, and tweeting and WhatsApp. People can survive without us. We can't survive without God. I can tell you that. And you keep these distractions away because you want to see God in His Word. Like see Him with the eyes of your heart, and understand his ways. Pause and think and ask to clarify. Use cross-references. You have that font size 4.5 in your Bible. That's small verses. Go to those verses that are there in the Bible to help you understand what those words and expressions could actually mean. And when the eyes of your heart begin to see the glory of God in the pages of Scripture, change happens. Transformation begins when the word takes its root in our hearts. Isn't it interesting that Psalm 1 says he meditates on the law of God day and night? That means it is, it is not about us giving the scripture a few minutes of our time. It is reading it in such a way that we allow the word to linger long long in our minds to do its work in us. We want to chew on the word much longer. We want the word to do its work during our devotion time and even after our devotion time. Give the scriptures, give the word your time and attention. What does the person who meditates on God's word look like? That's verse 3. He's compared to a tree that produces fruit. The tree produces fruit because it receives water. The water supplies all the nutrients that the tree needs to bear fruit in the right season. A fruitful tree is a good tree. Now, how do you know a good tree from a bad tree? By its fruit. How do you know a righteous person from a wicked person? By their fruit. Jesus said you can recognize them by their fruit. In someone, the righteous man is a fruitful man. In fact, he concludes by saying in all that he does, he prospers. Does this mean that if you, if you delight and if you meditate on God's word, you actually prosper? Yes. Yes. But that word prosper does not mean you get more wealthy and you have more. 
That's not what the psalmist has in mind. It simply means he flourishes in his righteousness with more righteous deeds because the water of God's word produces the fruit of righteousness in him. He grows stronger in his faith. He begins to speak wisely. He will be humble. He will love truth in his heart. He will uphold integrity. He will be prayerful. God will be his refuge. He will fear God. He will not slander. He will be a blessing to others. And he will flourish because God's word is his delight. That's godly prosperity. Do you want to be like that prosperous tree? Like the tree that yields its fruit in its season? Here's how you can be like that tree. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Pray the word. Read the word. Meditate on the word and pray the word. We want to read the, the word so that we grow and prosper as a godly man. Isn't that a good way to start this year? One of the best resolutions you and I can make for ourselves is to read the Bible because this is good for our soul. So let me, let me encourage all of us to make a plan to soak ourselves in the word. I'm not going to tell you how much you should read. But I think I will tell you, you need to read. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to commit yourself to consistent daily reading. Now, there are so many reading plans that people have used for years. Most of them are freely available online. Some of them encourage us to read four chapters a day. Some of them encourage us to read one chapter in the old one in the Psalms, one in Proverbs, and one in the New Testament. Some of them go slow. That's what I prefer. So that you can cover one testament in one year. Now we plan to send you these resources by today evening or tomorrow morning via email so that you have access to these resources. We want you to read your scripture. And we want to encourage you to read your Bible. And if you haven't given us your email IDs, please fill the last page of the bulletin and hand it into the connections table so that we can actually send you this email and help you with these resources. There are many apps out there. All of us have phones. There is the ESV app, Bible app. There's the Read Scripture app. There's the Version app. All of these apps help you keep a track of your Bible reading. The point is to be consistent in your intake of God's Word. Don't starve your soul. Feed your soul with God's Word. But as you read, friends, don't forget to pray. Ask the Lord to help you understand the Word. Ask the Lord to help you love obedience. Ask the Lord to help you see His glory. Now, another thing that can be helpful is involving other people in the church so that you can stay accountable in this. But not only that, so that you can use the Scripture for Scripture to guide your conversations. Ask a fellow church member to join you and, or, or even hold you accountable in your reading. Keep asking each other, what have you been learning? What has God been speaking to you? How has Bible reading changed your life? How has Bible reading changed your prayer life? Encourage one another with these questions. Do you want to end well? You want to grow and prosper and be like that happy man? Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Love the word. Read the word. Meditate on the word. And pray the word. At the start, I said that this is a wisdom psalm. It began by telling us what will bring us happiness. But this psalm will also tell us what will bring us misery. And that's verse 4. The wicked are not like the righteous. They are like chaff. They're the opposite. Look at what the psalmist compares the wicked ones to, the chaff. The chaff is the casing or covering around the grain. After the harvest, the farmers separate the grain from the chaff. Now, it is important that you separate because the chaff is not edible. It has no value. It is waste. So how how do you separate the chaff from the grain? The workers toss. They toss the chaff and the grain. The chaff is blown away by the wind and removed, while the grain lands safely on the ground and is collected. The wicked... The wicked are compared to what is worthless. The chaff is of no use. Now, why is it that the wicked are portrayed as those that have no value? Like, worthless. Such strong comparisons. Well, the answer lies in this book, in this psalm. So if you read through psalms, you will see that the wicked people are boastful. They think highly of themselves. They speak lies. They scheme evil in their hearts. Destruction is within them. They hate the righteous. The wicked man thinks there is no God. He thinks he is not accountable to anyone. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. He defines what is right and what is wrong. He's a scoffer. He hurts people. He's a cheater. The wicked man, according to Psalms, is a fool because he thinks there is no God. They are corrupt. They don't understand what is good. To God, the wicked people are worthless people because they have turned away from him. The psalmist in Psalm 1 makes this strong comparison because that is how God sees them. Worthless. But there's another reason why the psalmist compares them to chaff. Well, friends, listen to me very carefully. In other passages in the Bible, Job 21, Psalm 35, Isaiah 17, Isaiah 29, Jeremiah 13, Matthew 3, and Luke 3, where this image is used. The picture is that of God's judgment. God will bring the wicked to end. Their worthless living will cost them in the end. God will crush the wicked as the righteous judge. They will go down with their wickedness. God is going to blow them away easily. This comparison then in Psalm 1 serves as a warning for the wicked person. And if you are one of the wicked ones, and you think you are not accountable to anyone. Let me tell you this truth with love. There is going to come a day when you will stand before the living God. You will face Him. You will see His glory. 
you will recognize that there is a righteous and holy God, and you cannot hush him then. Your wickedness will bring you his judgment. And so in Psalm 4, this image is used to tell you that you will not end well if you reject God. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins to God. I want to ask you to start well this year by turning to God. Look to Christ who took your judgment. Believe in him for salvation. Start well by seeing Christ as your joy this year. The psalmist ends in verses 5 and 6 by talking about the destiny of both the righteous and the wicked. And that's our last point, the destiny. Now these verses begin with the word, therefore. And that means this is the conclusion of the wisdom psalm. Here you will find the final end of the righteous and the final end of the wicked. These people have chosen two separate ways. One chose God, the other chose sin. One chose wisdom, the other chose foolishness. Now the psalmist will tell us what will happen to the righteous and to the wicked in the end. He says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That means the wicked will not be able to endure the judgment to come. In light of the, of the passages that I just mentioned and the context, this judgment is the judgment of the righteous king. In the judgment to come, the wicked will not survive. The wicked have no place with God, even his people. God is going to separate his people from the wicked. The wicked will perish, verse 6. God is going to destroy the wicked. That's their end. Misery, destruction, eternal separation from God. The wicked have a sad ending. But I think it's a righteous ending. There will come a day when all evil and all injustice and all scoffing and deceit and slander will end. This is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, the one they had rejected all their lives will reject them forever. The wicked have no future. They have no future. The righteous have a future. And their future is glorious. When Jesus will appear, we shall see him and we shall be like him. That's glory. That's future glory. But I want to point out present glory that we enjoy now. Here in verse 6a, it says... For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It, th that word know certainly means that God knows the ways, the lifestyle, all that happens in, in, in the life of the righteous. But it's more than just know. That word actually means God watches over the ways of the righteous. Like he takes care, he sees, and he ministers 
to the needs of the righteous. This is a more intimate care which God has promised to his people where he will take care of his people by ministering to them out of love. He will enable them to obey him and bear fruit. This is covenant love. It isn't that God just knows. It is that God sees and comes to his children and ministers to them and helps them. God doesn't just save people and leave them to themselves. God saves to himself, and he is with them. What does that look like? What does this watchful care look like? When you and I pray for a revival in our hearts, God takes his word and settles them in our hearts so that our, our hearts are revived. New interests, new desires, new delight in God. God seems to me more glorious than sin. That's God's work. When you and I are weak, God takes His Word, settles His Word in our hearts, and strengthens us. When you and I grieve, God brings His Word and gives us joy. Joy is a gift. When you and I have no hope, God takes His Word and reminds us that He is sovereign, that He is in absolute control of the past, present, and future. When you and I are afraid, God takes His Word. This is Psalm 13. God takes His Word and encourages His people. Isn't that, isn't that watching over the righteous ones? That's how God cares for His people. The beauty of God's covenant love is that it is constant love. His covenant love is caring love. Brothers and sisters, we enjoy this love because of Jesus. You can be certain. You can be certain that what will bring you home to His presence will be His sustaining grace. I do not know what lies ahead for us in 2019. John Norris said there will be joy and sorrows. Certain. But I don't know the specifics. I know that God knows. But I can tell you one more thing. That the God who's going to take us through this 2019 is with us, watching over our ways. That's Psalm 1 verse 6. He is with us, taking care of us. Who will help us end well? God. God. So then the hero in this psalm is not the happy man, but the Lord who watches over his ways. Do you see that, friends? Our delight in the word is a gift from God. New affections come from a new heart. God creates that new heart. And then God promises us glory in the future. We will enjoy his presence and rule one day for all of eternity. No more wickedness. We'll be separated from wickedness and injustice and sorrow and grief and heartache and loneliness. We will be with him forever. But till then, till then, the Lord will watch over the ways of the righteous. He will bring us home. So we can joyfully sing. All glory be to Christ our 
king. Brothers and sisters, our stories will end well. And this year will end well because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. God, we pray that for this year, you would turn our heart's attention from what is worthless to what is good for our souls, your word. You would incline our hearts to your word, and that as we read your word, you would open our eyes You would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the wondrous things in your word and be at work in our hearts even as we read and meditate your word so that our hearts would fear you, God. Oh, Lord, satisfy us with your loving kindness. We pray for people here who have been rejecting you. Be pleased to save them. And bless them with true joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.